welcome back to History Between the Lines, where we are talking about Jack the Ripper. So, Mark, as soon as the Ripper murders happened, um, Victorian obsession with this case began immediately. Um, a lot of the Victorian public um, lapped this case up, um, especially its quite grisly details, its goriness, its more horrific elements, because we we tend to think of the Victorians as being very conservative, very restrained, almost to the point of, um, you know, repression. But in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, they really weren't. Like, you know, they, you know, to, to maybe put... Um, you know, to to put this another way, they they almost loved this kind of stuff. They loved mm. morbidity. They loved, um, you know, grisliness like the Ripper murders. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you just look at any of the newspaper coverage, um, you know, it, it's remarkable in it essentially in its prurient detail um it is all there you know every nasty little bit is recorded the times in those what looks to our eyes you know like incredibly dense columns of of text um but because of that it meant that they, they could record every little detail and, and it's there and this is part of a world as you say that actually has got a kind of slightly macabre um uh frisson from all of this and in, in many ways you know, this what well, i think what we have to do is, is also think about this as the kind of society that had produced um a novel like dr jekyll and mr hyde you know this whole idea of of the beast that in a human um which is also being encouraged in some ways by the idea of of darwinism you know and a theory of evolution that we're that we're um which uh, you know for many is quite shocking that we've evolved from an, an animal um, and that's opening up the whole idea about you know is there an animal in us and what happens if it takes over you know and, and, and runs us um, and, and does this kind of thing yeah so so there is a, a deep as you say um, a kind of obsessive interest in all the details of this case yeah I think there's kind of um, a perception of um, beastliness kind of lurking beneath um you know civilized human behavior and as you said mark darwinism um gets mm. caught up in all of this and um and to put maybe another spin on it again this was kind of around the time when the idea of um hereditary criminals was was really quite popular and mm. academics believed it public servants believed it the police believed it Rubbish, of course, you know, completely. But back then it was gaining ground that you were disposed to crime. Some people just were, you know, inherently inherited from inherited from the family they came from. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that connects with what we were talking about earlier um, with some of the theories about, you know, was it someone from a higher class? Of course, the way that that becomes explicable in um, uh, you know, Victorian social, cultural, quasi-scientific thinking is the concept of degeneracy. You know that there might something might have gone wrong in an otherwise, you know, an in inverted uh, uh, commas high quality family, but some little chink in the armor has been exposed, and then there's been a cycle of degeneracy, and before you know it, you know, um, some member of what might be otherwise a respectable family is out doing something 
like this and and, and that um uh, very much inspires uh, you know that that those kinds of ideas that that um so that, that's what makes it uh, in some ways um understandable that it could be someone from a different class that's mm. done this these awful deeds and in terms of um kind of the investigations that went on and theories that have um appeared um you know about jack the ripper since then um mm. I mean, today there are probably um, as many theories and ideas around Jack the Ripper as there are stars in the sky. But by mm, this point, mm. but um, initially, um, you know, there were so many theories bandied around, both in regards to, you know, obviously why he would do this um, and and who he was and whether he could be, um, you know, brought to justice. And I think one of the theories had um quite an anti-semitic flavor to it yeah absolutely i, I mean in one sense you know we, we could say it's understandable that that some people would um you know think he's jewish after all this is happening in the heart of of Europe's largest Jewish community, mm. you know, and, and as we were saying, um, you know, earlier, if this is someone who has local knowledge of how to disappear into the background, you know, how to move around what is um, quite a, a strange uh, geography, then there is that potential. But of course, the way it's being read is that these are signs, shall we say, of, of of typical kind of abhorrent and aberrant Jewish characteristics, you know, and that that's the anti-Semitic spin that that's going on it. Um, and indeed, if you look at some of the um, the illustrated papers, you know, where they're saying what people that the uh, victim was last seen with a lot of the the characteristics you're going to see in the sketches and cartoons you know one that you might uh, associate with, with what they would have had a stereotypical um jewish uh, facial characteristics and such like so yeah that one's uh, that one's very much um uh, going around and there are fears you know, hence um the alleged reason for getting rid of the the, the famous gorson street graffito you know without misspelling the jews um are those who will not be blamed Blamed, uh, you know, for nothing, and and it's wiped out or, uh, you know, on the orders um, of um, of Sir Charles Warren because he's worried about anti-Semitic um, uh, uh, demonstrations. But of course, that adds to some of the cons great conspiracy theories that there is some kind of cryptic message, perhaps involving Freemasons and other things like that, and he gets rid of it because he's all he's tied up in this. Um, but I think you you can understand why a lot of um, more senior policemen probably were worried about this turning into um, not just anti-Semitic demonstrations, but you know, full anti-Semitic writing. They've got enough on their hands as it is, you know, without a, a kind of small race war going on um, underneath their their noses as they're trying to deal with this but uh yeah you might say that what late victorian culture does is round up all its usual suspects of outsiders of, of what it would regard as the dodgy um and uh, the the um theories are all uh, being banded around about them i mean i think because um because they never um found out who he was i think jack the ripper almost became some sort of empty vessel that you could fill whatever yeah. you hated with. So if you're mm. anti-Semitic, I must be a mm. Jew. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, or anti-Irish or whatever it yeah, might be. Yes, yeah. yeah. And um yeah. and I think there were there was even a rumour that it was the Prince of Wales 
Even yes, yeah, yeah, and that and that I one. Imagine if you were anti-royalist, that would be, yes. um, you know, a, a good suspect in your mind. Um, so yeah. I think Jack the Ripper almost became what people wanted him to be. Almost yeah. because um, because people didn't know who he was, so he could be anyone, and yeah. and and that is what I think another reason why he has become as infamous as he has. Because... Yes, yeah, and, and I think because as well, um, you know, some who are associating him with perhaps like some sort of failed or, or degenerate doctor, you know, that something had gone wrong in his life, and, and that that you know appalling sense of you know perhaps no treachery seems worse than those that you put your implicit faith in, you know, like like a doctor, like someone who you might think of is there purely to do good in this world, and if they collapse, you know, in, into um, appalling behaviour, then there really is some kind of massive betrayal of everyone's uh, beliefs and sense of faith. And I think you're right. This idea of of, of um, him then becoming, as you say, like an empty vessel that people can attach things to, and what you might say is that the most um sort of sophisticated end of the argument we we have those saying uh well you know to a certain extent we created this monster because we've refused to civilize this world you know we've refused to invest properly in proper housing in proper education systems we've let people lead lives that are on the very edge of economic existence you know what did we think was going to happen you know in fact that we should hold the mirror up to ourselves and look at the in that and it's all of society that's to blame for this and in some ways you know that's one of the the interesting and you might always say valuable um uh, outcomes of this appalling set of murders is that there are a lot of people saying right we have to reform ourselves and we and we particularly have to begin on the ground you know physical reform of east london to improve this yeah. place so that something like this doesn't happen again yeah and i think um one of one of the biggest changes um one of the biggest contemporary changes that happened here is um the the focus on the rippers victims i think the perception of um female sex workers um did change in victorian britain mm. as a result of um jack the ripper they were seen with more sympathetic eyes than before and um the ripper murders showed um you know the dangers that these women put themselves mm. through um and you know that they put themselves through in order to feed themselves in order mm. to survive so sympathy um became sort of the the dominant um perception of sex mm. workers um for for a time after the ripper yes. murders yeah, yeah, and, and certainly someone like you know Mary Kelly, Marie Kelly, um, because she's young, you know, so young, and, and there's a um, and like this, I, the whole idea can be brought up about her that she's some poor young, you know, Irish innocent that that is, is dragged, you know, somehow just falls into this world uh, the, in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, and uh, becomes a, a victim of this appalling killer. And she almost gets mythologised, you know, and, and, and kind of used as a symbol you know, or a vessel to, to fill people's ideas about what 
virtuous womanhood um, is as, as, as much as uh, Jack was. And of course, she was given quite a, a splendid funeral. There was an enormous amount of sympathy for her. Um, and um, yeah, no, no matter how how hypocritical we might regard it in uh, retrospect, no matter how fleeting we might regard this moment of sympathy in retrospect, it did at least do that. You know, the, the, um, there was, it, it was not a, a kind of one-way traffic of uh, presentation that said they bought it upon themselves and they had it coming. You know, that is not the way um, uh, this is this is viewed. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Mark, I don't think that feeling lasted. And the no. reason I think that was quite fleeting. I think the mm. shock of the murders, especially um, Miss Kelly's towards the end, mm. um, which we talked about in part one, um, I think that was, unfortunately, I think that was temporary. And the reason yes. I say that is because just under 100 years later, the Yorkshire Ripper began his um, Absolutely. murder spree. Mm. Um, and... Um, and I think if if we look at um, kind of the, the perception of sex workers back in the 1970s and 80s when Peter Sutcliffe was, was murdering women, I think it, it had reverted back to, to this idea that, you know, they they were asking for it a little bit and you yeah. know, they, they didn't go so far as to say they deserved it, but they made it quite clear, both the police and large sections of the British media, that mm. they weren't pure, they weren't completely mm. innocent. These were women mm. who knew what they were getting into. And, you know, of course they didn't deserve it, but what could they expect by being yeah. sex workers, which is appallingly disgusting, I think, a view to take of, of um, the women who were murdered by Sutcliffe. And, um, and you know, it happened both in, as I said, the newspapers and in internal police memoranda. Mm. It was the same kind of attitude and arguably mm. that hindered catching him more quickly. So my point is that the perception of female sex workers did revert back to seeing them as, um, you know, lowly and quite worthless and unimportant. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no uh, real kind of sustained corollary sense of do men, you know, as a group or, or perhaps specifically men that, that look to buy sex have to think about their behaviour. You know, it's not as if there's a real sustained argument that's continually going around in the, the popular sphere about that. Certainly some are raising, you know, some campaigners are saying this is what's required, but, but they, they by no means have ever been a dominant voice in this. And as you say, it, it's, it's tended to mean um, that violence against sex workers is often framed in a fairly particular and almost kind of narrow set of parameters which which have, have almost become cliches about the way um, that, that this is discussed and, and very rarely sustained analysis about what's behind it you know and, and whose behavior needs to change yeah. i think it's it's almost i think jack the ripper in particular and and this this seems incredible i think when you look back on it in hindsight but jack the ripper himself had such an influence 
on the Sutcliffe investigation to the Ooh. point of absurdity where yeah. they, I think a lot of policemen and a lot of commentators and academics and journalists looked at the Ripper murders and they were almost trying to find Jack the Ripper rather mm. than the Yorkshire Ripper because yeah. they believed that the same kind of things were happening, the same yeah. kind of person was doing it, which, mm. again, looking back on it, is... Um, you know, a, an an appalling waste of mm. time to bring in a case yeah. more or less a hundred years old and try mm. and put that template onto um onto the Sutcliffe case, which um which of course you know are more or less a hundred years apart. So to mm. put that into an active police investigation mm. was um just um you know downright wrong and hindered the investigation massively i'm sure yes yeah yeah you're all right down to that um similar obsession you know with spurious communications with the police or press you know yeah. which, which which are yeah you know whoever is behind them it's something very strange about about those kinds of people but yeah that that, that whole sense of oh here is someone this this must be authentic this must be genuine you know it's someone who's wanted to go out of their way to communicate with us yeah that that had thrown the police as you say in the 1888 and it's going to do exactly the same um during the the Sutcliffe um Peter Sutcliffe's uh, spree of, of, of dreadful murders so yes I think you're right wittingly and unwittingly that becomes the blueprint for the way they see it and they do become trapped in, in a cycle there i mean um you know they they even got sent a tape of mm. someone who called himself jack yes he, he was the yorkshire ripper and mm. um did did exactly the same thing um as the the ripper letters in 1888 mm. did mocked the police for mm. for not being able to catch him and said um i'll mm. uh, i'll kill more women will mm. you catch me which you never will mm. thankfully i think I think they have found the man who made that tape because mm. it was complete fake. Obviously, mm. it was mm. done for um, you know for for media um, publicity. Mm. But I think they have caught the man mm. who made that tape because again, it they 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 believed it hook, line, and sinker, and they brought in um, you know voice analysts. Um, voice experts mm. to um, determine which region of Britain he was from and mm. for a bit they focused all of their energies on this um, tiny pinpoint of Britain mm. which yep. which of course um, Sutcliffe didn't live anywhere near there mm. so again mm. a complete waste no. of time yes. and contributed yep. to his spree going on for longer than mm. it would have mm. done Mm, absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um that that um, you know appalling bit which i think sometimes occurs in any kind of group doesn't it have a, a kind of group think and a cognitive closure where where you become obsessed with one stream of information and focus every attention on that and then do not step back and think hang on do we should we see this in, in with different contexts should we be asking different questions yeah completely and utterly trapped in that yeah well thank you so much mark for talking to me about um oh, real pleasure today um 
And thank you very much, everyone, for listening to this episode of History Between the Lines. We hope to see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.